The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1, which you'll find on page 966 of the Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you, Jeremy, Mark, Joe, and Noah. I might come down here, because we're a little bit more intimate this evening. Um, for leading in worship, leading in sung worship. Uh, Let me start with a prayer. Lord God, we come as we are to meet the one who came, who came fully God, fully human, to be born, to live, to die, to rise again, to make a way for us to be back in your presence. And we thank you and we pray that these words, those words from you that I say, will rest in our hearts and, and give us life. Amen. Um, I will, um, I'll start, actually, as, as Dan started on Christmas Day, which was uh, with a cracker joke. 
um, because we've just had a reading from the wise men. Uh, so just one cracker joke rather than four. Uh, I seem to remember it was four. What was the three wise men's favorite Christmas carol? What was their favorite Christmas carol? O camel, ye faithful. Yeah, terrible. Okay, that's the moan over. Uh, Anyway, happy Christmas. And there's probably a slight kind of feeling in the room like, oh, goodness, we had a Christmas reading up on the screen. Uh, And yet Christmas is done. And partly what I want to say today is it's not done. It's not done. I want to share with you briefly that we should resist the urge to move on from Christmas, to remind ourselves that we are made for and Christmas is about worship. And finally, as a result, we're to live life differently. So not to rush on from Christmas, to respond with worship and to live life differently in the light of all of this. Um, I know Christmas has not ended because on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree, and I can't remember the rest. Now, some of you probably can, but I was just so puzzled as I grew up. Why would anyone want... Well, first of all, I was puzzled what on earth was a partridge. And then when I found out what a partridge was, why would someone want a bird in a tree? Um, And those of us, like me, who don't know what the 12 days are will be thinking, but I know one other day, because we all know one other day. It's the fifth day. It's five old ring. And this is the fifth day. And we've just heard that gold is given. Isn't it amazing? We know that one. It's just a riff, isn't it, really? Um, But there we go. We're actually in Christmas. We've left Advent, and we're in Christmas. Um, But of course, I think the world sees things very differently. Uh, I read this in a survey 2016. The average British adult spends very nearly 70 hours preparing for Christmas. Um, And for many, uh, that might be sort of the equivalent of two full-time working weeks preparing for Christmas. I think what they meant was preparing for Christmas Day. And that's the average. So some are way above that. But as Christianity Today, a Christian magazine wrote... Sometime in November, as things now stand, the Christmas season begins. The streets are hung with lights, the stores are decorated with red and green, and you can't turn on the radio or stream without hearing songs about the spirit of the season and the glories of Santa Claus. The excitement builds to a climax on the morning of December the 25th, and then it stops abruptly. Christmas is over, the new year begins, and the people go back to their normal lives. I think that might be true. Does it resonate with you? We put a crazy amount of time preparing for Christmas, and then, what next? We run on into Boxing Day, if we've got any money left from Black Friday, um, and whatever next. And to underline that point, actually, it's fascinating. A forecast for this year was that over a billion pounds would be spent online on Christmas Day itself. We've spent so long preparing for the day, and then on the day we think, oh, something else to do, the next thing. And I wonder how many of us, truthfully, on Wednesday, slipped under the covers at the end of the day and thought, done it, got to the end, still married, my in-laws are still talking to me. All of those things that are going through some people's minds. How many of us are already thinking about going back to work or have gone back to work, have shifted away from celebration, 
how many of us internally have declared that Christmas is over and are planning our summer holidays as a distraction or preparing for New Year celebrations, which is great, um, or working out a strategy to survive the bleak days of January. And how many clergy are starting to think about Lent and Easter sermon series? I think there's a few, but we are on day five, and there's 12 days, which means we're not even halfway there. We are still in Christmas. So the temptation is to rush on. But I think the wise men who arrive later in the narrative remind us to stay in the Christmas story, and they teach us to challenge that cultural norm of rushing away from Christmas. They also teach us simply to worship. That's what they came to do, to worship. Um, We read, of course, that the account of the Magi comes from Matthew. And Matthew's gospel was written or directed primarily towards the Jews. His purpose was to prove to them, and by extension to us, that Jesus is the Messiah, the eternal king. But not exactly the king or Messiah that the listeners, the Jewish listeners or readers, might have anticipated. In this section of the Nativity, Matthew is outlining that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one, the saviour of God's people, the weighted one, the one who would come out of Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judea. And all of that is Matthew reminding his listeners, his readers, that this is the one prophesied by Micah. And the divine nature is brought out as well, both to the wise men and also to Joseph, to underline that point that this is the king of kings. And then Matthew also pulls in this aspect of the story that Jesus is the one called out of Egypt, the next Moses, the rescuer, the shepherd king, the ultimate rescuer, the one that they had waited a long time for. So there is something, therefore, extraordinary to the Jewish reader and listener that it is arguably the non-Jewish, the Magi, who become the focus in this section. And what do we know about these foreigners? Well, truth be told, we don't know a huge amount for certain. We know that they came and that they worshipped and they brought gifts. But we don't know exactly where they came from. We don't know how long they stayed for. But I want to offer this up as our short thought for today. I want to suggest they stayed for a while. I don't know this. The Bible doesn't say how long they said, how long they stayed. But consider this. There's every reason that their journey to to Jerusalem and then Bethlehem would have been a long one. They would have sacrificed a great deal bringing their expensive gifts, and they were expensive. But in addition, there would have been the cost of travel. There would have been the cost of not earning, perhaps, where they were. There would have been that loss of status from where they were, and perhaps that would mean mean a power vacuum if they had any sense of royalty, which we don't know. But they would have given of their time, critically, in their journey. And even their reputation as stargazers, for they were going on a journey, and if they found nothing and went back, that would have been something uncomfortable. They also had, and I think this is a personal cost, an uncomfortable, arguably uncomfortable encounter with Herod, which would have contributed to to something of the personal cost of this journey towards the incarnation. So I have a feeling that once they met Jesus, they would not have run on. But what is very clear is that they worshipped. They ascribed worth. And to worship, you need to stay and invest. 
the worth of this child was, is, continues to be, always will be incalculable. You don't rush on from worshipping the King of Kings, Emmanuel, God with us. And we shouldn't either. Just to bring that point about rushing on. Some time ago, I had the privilege of working at Wimbledon. Uh, I worked there for three summers. I didn't have a very exciting job. I worked on the queues. Um, but as a result, you got to know and got to answer questions. On These huge numbers of people would give up vast amounts of time to queue. Towards the end, even in the middle of a day, a second queue within the queue would form. These would be the hardcore individuals. They would be the ones who were not queuing up for late tickets on that day, but queuing up to be at the front of the queue for the next day. They were giving up a huge part of that first day and an overnight stay, which was deeply uncomfortable and in all weathers, so that they might get in. And after all, the next day might be rained off anyway. So this was a huge sacrifice. My point being, I am convinced, though I have no empirical data, that they would not have been the first to leave centre court that next day. They would have been the ones, the type of ones, who would have stayed all the way through to the last serve or until the umpire said, lights failed, let's go home. In the days when they didn't have the roof, because that was my day. I think the wise men trekked for days, weeks, more. And when they arrived, they worshipped and didn't run away. Let's not move on from Christmas, and let's not move on from worship. The phrase of 2019 that I most recall being set up here was, I think, I think it was Paul, and Paul would attribute it to Tim Keller, but I'm happy to attribute it to Paul. It's a simple phrase that the way in in the Christian faith is the way on. The way in is the way on. And the way into Christmas and the way on from Christmas when we do depart is worship. As a result of Christmas, we continue to worship. We are inspired to worship. And as the Magi have shown, to meet with Jesus, the one whom we worship, might involve quite a journey. We may not have got there yet. But when we do, and that costly journey, it will be surely mysterious. But when we do, it will result in worship. And we give what we can. We give our lives. We give our worship. We bring what we have in our hands. A month or so ago, um, a bunch of year fours or year fives, and I'm their school chaplain, I should remember which year it was, um, it was an RE lesson. They gathered around and they asked a whole bunch of questions. And one of the questions that they asked was, if you, when you, if you met with God, what would you first say to him? And I had a thousand, I mean, it's an interesting question for you to pose now. What would you say to God if you met God right now? And I had a thousand different thoughts, and many, many different questions went through my mind. But with a rare moment of clarity and being on point, please note, it's quite rare, I said to these eight-year-olds or so, I said, I think I would say thank you. I think I would say thank you, and I love you. And I think they were bitterly disappointed, um, because I think they wanted me to go frame some kind of question about dinosaurs or space travel, something like that. Don't get me wrong, I think God loves it when we ask questions and poses these wonderful conversations. I think God wants that. He asks us to ask and seek and knock. But the first thing we should do when we meet with God is simply worship. 
say thank you. I love you. I'm so grateful. That's what the wise ones did. So let's not rush on away from the story of God with us. And secondly, let's worship. But thirdly, finally, how? Worship is not stationary. It always involves travel. At least a movement of the heart and often a movement of the body. The wise men magi are not now in Bethlehem. They are not buried there. They went home. They were told to move on and go home by the angel. And indeed, you will be told to go home at the end of this service. We will all move even after worship. In fact, we continue to worship, but not in some worship perhaps. Um, Interestingly, I read R.T. France, who was sometime principal of Wycliffe Hall, states there's no indication that they move on from being magi. They go back however they came, possibly with those camels, and they return home to their home, to their home country, probably still stargazing. But I love this. They do so differently. I'm convinced of it. Yes, there's a different route they take, but that's also an indication to a root of the heart. There's also something else going on here. I think they returned entirely different people. You can't meet Emmanuel, God with us, and not be changed. And we aren't always called to do different things after we've met with God and worshipped God. We aren't always called to move away from home. Sometimes we're called to go back where we came from, St. Paul, after all, remained a tent maker, and the wise men returned home. But we are called to do things afresh and differently. In the light of Christmas, in the light of God with us, we can't continue to do the same things the same way we've always done. We can integrate worship into every part of our life. And when the tough asks of life and from God, when we have those... With worship in a new light, those tough hearts can become lighter. We recognize God is with us in the very deepest, darkest, most difficult valleys. We can do that through worship. And in this story too, of course, there's Mary and Joseph. There is the reality that there are some who don't return home, who are called to new and different things. Mary and Joseph moved to Egypt and they changed wholesale. Frankly, they were always going to change They had a newborn baby, and anyone who's ever had a baby knows that that means there's complete and radical change. But they had a particular and very different change. God will call us to many changes, because life is full of changes, through 2020. He may call us, like Mary and Joseph, to something radically new, and he may give us the grace of a supernatural calling to do that. I found with great changes, there is that great grace. Or he may call us to carry on worshipping him, remain where we are, but to see those around us with fresh eyes, to go to those places familiar to us with a fresh purpose to bring his good news and his worship. Wherever we are, whatever path lies ahead, in this Christmas season and towards the new year, we are called to transformation to become more like Christ. We shouldn't rush on from the story and the reality of God with us Christmas. We should respond with worship and we should live transformed 
as we worship the one who came, whether we stay here or we move far away. As the wise men knew, um, just intuitively, and as we've heard from Psalm 95 at the start of this service, and in the message translation it says this, Come, let us worship and bow before him. He is our God and we are his people. So come, let's